is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 Zone. Big thanks to the title sponsor of the Big Show. That would be Big O. Check out your locally owned and operated Big O Tires. The team you trust, Big O Tires. And listen, my co-host Gordon Monson knows the value of a proper tire. I do. You are a uh, self-pronounced car guy. Yeah. It's pronounced Porsche. I'm it not, is. I'm, <laughs> it's... Uh, it, uh, I'm not an expert, but I... I have a nice I'm, car. I'm extremely interested, yeah. Uh, expert enough to tell whether the car has good tires. Yes. I only have one Porsche. <laughs> <laughs> you guys. All right, Chris is ready to roll. Let's get to him. Austin, hit it. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hi, Chris. Happy Monday. How are you? What's going on, guys? Hey, just in the middle of a, a very competitive series, Chris, uh, the Clippers got game three, played very well doing it. Give us your thoughts. They did. I thought they ratcheted up the defensive intensity. I thought, you know, some of those soft double teams they were throwing at Donovan Mitchell were really effective. I mean, even the shots he was making, especially in that first half, they were tough shots. I mean, they were kind of going the wrong direction, you know, contested three-pointers, kind of shots that you live with if you're the Clippers and um, you know, the adjustments that Quinn Snyder, that the jazz make going into uh, this game four are uh, probably going to decide the, the game and maybe even a series. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to unpack with this. You know, Mike Conley's injury certainly still looms large Mitchell, how he bounces back after the ankle tweak, you know, that looms large, but I'm very interested to see if, you know, what adjustments Quinn Snyder makes to try to, you know, deal with those double teams and, to, you know, get Rudy Gobert going as well. I mean, they, that small lineup has proven to be problematic uh, for, for Utah at times in the series, especially in game three. I like the way you frame that, Chris, because uh, every, that's the thing about these playoff series is every game seems like a game completely unto itself. And you never know what you're going to see next. I mean, yeah, the, the Clippers make some adjustments, and then the Jazz make an adjustment, the Clippers make adjustment. And, you know, I, I thought on Saturday we were watching uh, some sort of uh, blitzing defense, uh, everybody heading, running at Donovan Mitchell. And so somebody else on, on that attack has to hit some open shots, and they seem to struggle to do so. Yeah, they've got to find the right spacing. They've got to get guys in the right places. I mean, there's just a lot of adjustments that I think Quinn Snyder can and will attempt to make. But look, this is why, you know, coaching matters. I think Ty Lue has had an excellent postseason overall. I mean, his adjustments in game three of that Dallas series and throughout were uh, certainly difference-making for uh, for the Clippers. And his adjustments in game three in this series uh, were difference-making and certainly, you know, put the Clippers on the – the path to success that that they went on in that game. So I'm, it, it's a chess match between two really good coaches in Ty Lue uh, and Quinn Snyder. I mean, again, obviously there's there's more to it. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm again the, the we know Conley's out, we get that, but I'm I'm just you know when Donovan Mitchell said that landing is a problem for him, that that kind of raised an alarm bell in my mind. That you know is he is he going to be uh, you know, hesitant to attack the rim? He's going to be hesitant to kind of go all out at the basket. I mean, I, I'm, again, it's another thing I'm interested to see, like how aggressive is he at going to the rim in this game four, knowing that that, that ankle uh, retweaked at the end of game three. And it really matters, Chris, because tonight's important. There's a big difference uh, between coming back tied 2-2 and up 3-1. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I still think even if they lose, they're in a good position. Um, you cross your fingers and hope that Conley's back at some point. But, um, you know, going back home with two out of the next three is, is a good position to be in. But, you know, they've got a chance to, to prove that that game three was just an aberration. Uh, and the Clippers, look, they're not invulnerable here. I mean, they, yeah, they're as likely to not show up as they are to show up. I mean, Paul George played out of his mind in that game three. He's had some clunkers in this postseason. I mean, that being said, Kawhi can certainly get have played better in this game four. So I, I just did you two really good teams, the kind of stuff you, you kind of look for in a good postseason series. And you know, maybe it is the adjustments that one coach makes that, that makes all the difference. Chris, you mentioned Conley a couple times. What is it that he brings that you think, other than just being a really good player, is there something specific uh, that he brings to the table that would cause the Clippers trouble? Well, I mean, shot making is first and foremost. I mean, if you talk about the if you talk about the double teams that Mitchell is facing, I mean, having another guy that can knock down an open three point shot is invaluable. As it stands, you're kind of plugging Royce O'Neal in there. Jordan Clarkson's getting extra minutes. These are good players, but Mike Conley, frankly, is better. And you know, having that part of his game is valuable. In addition, you know, taking some of that playmaking responsibility off of Mitchell is is key as well. Conley is is a high level guy, you know, at doing that. So. There's just layers to, to what, what he's able to bring that the Jazz just don't have with him out of the lineup. So the hope is has got to be that he's back sooner rather than later. But I get it with these hamstring injuries. I mean, they're, you know, you, you, you've seen in the playoffs, like with, John, with James Harden. Like if you, um, you know, if you don't take your time with these hamstring injuries, Anthony Davis is another example. You know, if guys come rushing back, they can aggravate it even further and you know, potentially shut them down for even longer. So I, I understand the Jazz, you know, slow playing this, but – you know, if they go down in this game four, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Mike Conley to be back for game five. You surprised Denver no-showed in that series? Or is Phoenix simply that good, I guess? I think Phoenix is that good. I mean, you know, my, my takeaway from Nuggets Suns is that Portland really stinks. Like, I mean, to, to get beat by that Nuggets team. I mean, that's – I mean, like, you, you can't you can't go against Chris Paul and Devin Booker with a midseason acquisition in Austin Rivers and a 30-year-old rookie in Campazzo. Like, I mean, that's – that's just insane. And, you know, uh, Jokic was okay, not great. I thought DeAndre Ayton did a pretty good job on him in that series. But, you know, Aaron Gordon's not a number two guy. Uh, it's very clear Michael Porter Jr. was injured with that back, and he's kind of not not close to being what he, he usually was. So, no, I, I wasn't surprised at all that they were able to go through. I mean, think about it. Like, you know, without Jokic out there, I mean, that team basically becomes the Orlando Magic. Like, it's just – it's just not a very good team. Um you know, without him out there on the floor and, you know, without him dominating, it's just tough for them to stay in. And Phoenix is just, Phoenix is excellent. They're deep, they're talented, they, you know, they're athletic. I mean, Chris Paul is playing some of the best basketball I've seen him play in his entire career, not just in the last few years, but in his entire career, he's playing great. And I think in the mind of Chris Paul, this is his opportunity. Like all those years where he came up short, you know, not getting to the conference finals with the Clippers, the one trip with with the Rockets that was cut short by the hamstring injury, I think he sees an opening here to to kind of redeem all that, and and uh, you know he's got the team around him to do it. What do you think of uh, of Jokic getting chucked out of that game yesterday? He, he deserved it. I mean, you, you, like the, the end result wasn't a significant injury to Cameron Payne, but it could have been, and that that's just that's a no, that's a that's one of the few easy calls for NBA referees. If you wind up and take a swing like that, even if you are nominally aiming for the ball. I mean, that's that's an intentional maneuver. It was a frustration foul, of course, but, um, you know, the wind-up like that, it just it, – you're going to get tossed every single time, even if you're the MVP uh, of the league. And Jokic has got to know better in, in that type of situation. So, I didn't have a problem. I know some people saying, oh, it barely touched him and grazed his nose. It's not really the point. Like, he, the point was he wound up and, and took a swing, and, you know, it's not like he intentionally only grazed his nose. He kind of got lucky – that he only grazed his nose. Um, so I think that the, the the intention of the act was enough to get him tossed out of the game. You know, Chris, playoff series are funny. Uh, it wasn't that long ago when guys like Gordon and myself were burying the Bucks, and then all of a sudden okay. they get a uh, you know, hard-fought win in game three and some injuries happen, and uh, it's it's a completely different series now. I mean, if, if Milwaukee winds up winning the series – and maybe winning a championship because I put them among the favorites if they get through this series. Like they'll look back at this one, and I mean, it, 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 what the series could have been and what it's looking like it might be are just 
you know, two completely different things. I mean, if James Harden was healthy, you know, they might have gotten swept. Like, they didn't look good at all in the first couple of games. And even game three, I thought it was more the Nets missing shots than the Bucks hitting them that, that led to that result. And now they're in a position where if Kyrie and Harden are both out for game five, they could win that game and then go on and win the series and, and maybe win a championship and sort of redefine who they are. I mean, if they had gone out early, you would have been talking about Mike Budenholzer being fired. There might have been changes in the front office. I mean, there would have been a lot of, a lot of happening in Milwaukee. Now they're – they're in a great position to win the whole damn thing. And, yeah, I mean, look, it just, it just reminds me that oftentimes circumstance has a lot to do with, uh, with how championships are won. You know, the Rockets won two in the 1990s because Jordan wasn't playing. The Jazz didn't win uh, championships in the 90s because Jordan was playing. Same thing with the Knicks. And, you know, the Trailblazers didn't win the early 2000s. They had a championship team. And neither the Kings because the Lakers were so dominant. I mean, things are just like – it's all about one injury and a set of circumstances that can change the fate of, of a franchise. And I think in, in a month or so from now, if the Bucks win this whole thing, which I, I think they can, um, you know, th- this looking back at the series will be a very interesting thing to do. Chris, so, yeah, maybe you answered my question there, but of all the teams you've seen, uh, who's impressing you as as the best team right now? I mean, it's hard to, to knock Phoenix with – with what they did. I mean, I know Denver's banged up, but, you know, to come back and beat the Lakers, even there was a hobbled Lakers team and a hobbled Nuggets team, you know, they're just complete, and they're not showing kind of the hallmarks that we've seen over years years past of young players struggling in big moments. Devin Booker has been great. Uh, DeAndre Ayton, who I mentioned, has been great. at like 14-10 and 10 against Jokic. That's really good and has been a linchpin to what they do uh, defensively. Bridges has been great out there for Phoenix. These are guys in their first tour of duty – largely in the postseason, and they're they're acting like, you know, they've been here three or four times before. Now, does that continue against a better team? Uh, either Utah or the Clippers will be a much better team than the banged-up Lakers and Nuggets that the Suns faced. I don't know. But right now you got to give Chris Paul and that Suns team, you know, the benefit of the doubt that they're just really damn good and uh, they deserve to be considered the top team in the league. Chris Mannix, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, with us <clears throat> here on the Big Show. Chris, how triggered are the analytics nerds with what Chris Paul is doing from the mid range right now? I mean, it's, some of these shots are still not great shots, but it's you know it, he's he's found his spot on the floor, and against Denver anyway, he was able to get to it every single time. I mean, part of that's a function of Michael Porter just having no lateral movement. Like you know, you watch they were running screens into him like for three consecutive games towards the very end. I mean, everything was directed at Michael Porter Jr. And Chris Paul feasted on that particular matchup. But look, he's a throwback player. You know, 36 years old, career dates back to 03. Um, you know, he's, uh, he, he does what he does, and he does it at a really high level, in the same way that Kobe did it from that spot at a really high level. He still makes threes. I mean, they still, he'll give you a couple per game, but he's really comfortable at, you know, that dribble drive across the lane and, and pull up kind of fading away to his shooting hand. And until somebody stops him, I mean, he'll take that automatic two points over, you know, the layup or the dunk or the three-pointer that analytics guys want you to shoot. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's his game. He's going to stick with it. How do you evaluate Chris Paul's career uh, now that he's, well, I don't know when he's going to be done. Like you said, he's playing so well right now. Is he one of the all-time great point guards? Yeah, he's up there. I mean, I don't, I mean, it seems like this is the year where everybody's, you know, using definitive terms as you know, Mike Malone said, Chris Paul could be the best. I remember Scott Brooks said Russell Westbrook was number two. I mean, everybody seems to be kind of throwing around you know, lofty praise at that position. What, what I think is going to be a feather in the cap of Chris Paul when his career is said and done, which by the way, it's not close. I mean, he's got that $44 million player option for next year. My guess is that he picks it up and Phoenix extends him for two more years after that. So he could be around 40 by the time his career is over. Um, but I think the real feather in his cap is going to be how he's played the last couple of years. I mean, you know, Chris Paul took and probably earned some of the criticism that happened in L.A. with the Clippers when Lob City didn't work out. Uh, he took and deserved some of the criticism of that Houston team kind of falling apart in his last year there. Uh, but he goes to Oklahoma City, a team that had just lost two stars and gets them to the number six seed in the playoffs with a bunch of young guys around him. Then he goes to Phoenix, and there's no doubt the Suns were on the upswing. But you know, to take them to where they are this season is a lot of a lot of to do with Chris Paul and, and what he's done with that team. So I, I think that you know he put up better numbers 
early in his career, but what he's done team-wise these last couple of years and what he projects to do, because I think he's going to be productive over the next couple of years. I mean, after the injury that he had in that conference finals for Houston, he kind of remade his body there, kind of went that Tom Brady route and sort of focused on plyometrics and stretching and things like that. And he's been largely healthy, 70 games apiece in the last two seasons, uh, in, you know, shortened seasons. So I, I think he's going to play, he's going to be durable in the final stage of his career. And, you know, the, the accomplishments he's making team-wise, I think will, will overshadow anything he did individually early in his career. So there was a report today about a possible rule change the NBA is going to consider, making it more difficult for players. And uh, uh, Woj, when he when he tweeted this out, used the example of James Harden or Trey Young from leaning in to create contact on the shot. Uh, what do you think about those possible rules changes? Necessary? No, they're, they're very necessary. And I've had this conversation with Monty McCutcheon, the league office, with various league officials, and, and this has been coming for a while now. I, I think they should take it even further. I mean, if it's not a natural shooting motion, you know, you you at the very least shouldn't get to the free throw line. Like I get a little tired of seeing guys pump fake beyond the three point line and then just jump into guys. Like if if you get fouled during a natural shooting motion, okay, you get your three free throws, but I don't think a guy should be rewarded for three free throws. If he is just jumping into the moving body of another player, because he knows by the letter of the law that that is going to get him uh, to the line. I, I think there's got to be clarification there. I mean, I think, look, they're fouls. I mean, James Harden gets fouled. Trey Young gets fouled. But there certainly should be some uh, some oversight there to give referees discretion, like they do with that swing move that they, they changed a couple of years ago to get to the free throw, to not get to the free throw line. So I, I like that as a first step for the NBA. I just think they should take it even further and make kind of any jumping into guys not a automatic free throw situation. I couldn't agree with you more on that, Chris. And like Jake said, we've talked about it a lot because, you know, first of all, I just don't like deception. It's one thing to be crafty; it's another to to to, to take advantage of a situation. I mean, you could have a defender sitting there minding his own business, and all of a sudden, the player jumps in the direction toward him, and there there goes the whistle. You know, it, it's it's like flopping to me. I don't like it. Well, you could also. You know, I, I don't think they'll take it this far, but again, I think they should. Um, you know, if a guy is you know jumping sideways into a player, that should be an offensive foul. I know they're they're doing that now with that kick move, which I think is again a step in the right direction. But I'd like to see them, you know, kind of try to find ways to legislate all this stuff up. If you call enough offensive fouls on players for doing some of that crap, um, you will get them to eventually stop it. Uh, I just think right now there's there's too much uh, reason to jump into guys and, and kick your legs out, do all sorts of goofy non-basketball things because referees have shown they'll send you to the free throw line. I'd like to see them, the NBA take this as far as they possibly can to get that kind of play out of the game. Last thing for me, Chris, and of course you are a bit of a, a renaissance man. You do a great job covering the NBA, but you cover boxing as well, and it's not often that those two sports overlap. So with that in mind, what did you think about uh, Lamar Odom as a boxer? Uh, he should never do that again. And Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Carter, right? Aaron Carter should never do that again either. Like that was pretty sad to see. I mean, that I, I didn't watch it on pay-per-view because I mean, I'd rather light my money on fire, (laughs) but like there's, that just didn't, that was just goofy from start to finish. I mean, Lamar Odom, I mean, first of all, if anybody's familiar with the uh, Kramer and Seinfeld episode, when he's at the karate gym, where he's just like, he's like so much bigger than Aaron Carter. He could have just strangled him, much less boxed him. Um, yeah, that's number one. Number two, there's no boxing skill in either one of them. And, you know, they were doing it to try to cash a check. Maybe they did. I can't imagine too many people bought that on pay-per-view since I barely heard about it until a couple of, like, social media posts I saw on Fight Night. Uh, so I, I just I, – celebrity boxing is not going anywhere. You know, there's always these influencers that can put together high-profile fights, but – I don't need to see a athletically faded Lamar Odom, and I don't know what Aaron Carter is these days. He looks nuts. I don't need to see those two guys ever involved in a boxing match ever again. That was fairly embarrassing for both. I think desperate is the word you were looking for there. I think Aaron <laughs> Carter is desperate. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, I don't. His brother was the back, his brother was the Backstreet Boy, right? Like, right. That's, I, I don't right. know. Like, he's, I don't, I don't know. Like he's that that kind of stuff. I mean, I can't imagine people pay for it. Like, does Aaron Carter have a real fan base that? 
you know, they're like Logan Paul has a fan base, like he's in a carefully cultivated one. I got that. But Aaron Carter, does he have this, you know, tens of millions of fans willing to pay 50 bucks to watch him get his you know, head punched in by a guy a foot taller than him? Like I don't, I, and even Lamar Odom, just the, you know, one of the best, I mean, you guys know one of the best like athlete basketball players of his time. Like this guy was one of the original point forwards to see him kind of out there, you know, <laughs> slowly slugging away. At Aaron Carter was uh, was tough to see. I don't know which is it would be worse, watching basketball players box or watching boxers play basketball. No, our basketball players boxing is worse. As someone that can tell you about both, like basketball players is box. Like even like Damian Lillard is one of the great like works out all the time as a boxer, but you can see him. It's like that's not that's not like my real thing. Even David West was a big into boxing back in his day, but it's just a it's a level of of. What you are as a basketball player, the explosiveness you have as a basketball player, does not manifest itself into boxing. Whereas boxers, while not being good, you know, can conceivably construct enough basketball skills not to be embarrassing. That's kind of the way I look at it. So, so Chris, if the powers that be came to you and said, we know you, you like to cover both basketball and, and boxing, uh, but we want you to do one or the other. We want you to spend the rest of your professional life covering it. Which one would you pick? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. I mean, I, I don't know. Probably boxing. You know, I, I if boxing was better, if, if boxing, if I didn't have to spend as much time covering boxing, writing about why fights don't happen than the ones that do, <laughs> um, I would definitely be boxing because it's it's maddening to you know. I spent years covering the Manny Pacquiao Floyd Mayweather failed negotiations and and everything that went into that. Um, but at its best, boxing is is phenomenal. Like these events are. I mean, I was at. You know, AT&T Stadium just last month where Canelo put 73,000 fans in for his fight. I mean, that was a, a wild atmosphere. Um, and so, I, I, you know, at its best, boxing, but unfortunately, boxing is very rarely at its best. It's usually more low-level, one-sided fights or Lamar Odom and Darren Carter. I had a friend, Chris, who covered boxing in Los Angeles when I was down there, and mm. he said the stories – in boxing are just phenomenal have always well, been that's that because yeah. that, that's because no like nobody for, from childhood like is like i want to be a professional boxer like they just don't they're kind of either forced into it because of, of poverty or they do it because they don't have the size to do anything else i mean look floyd mayweather is one of the great fighters of this generation maybe the greatest of this generation what else could floyd mayweather do athletically besides box like you know he he's five foot seven and I be like a jockey. I, I don't know. Like he's not going to play, you know, football. He's probably not going to play, you know, definitely playing basketball or baseball, even something like that. So like this, just kind of like how they they come from these really tough backgrounds, and this is like a means to survival. Um, it, it makes these stories incredible. Like they all have these these real deep, deep, rich stories. And beyond that, they don't have teammates to protect. They're shameless self promoters. So they're going to say anything. Like they're going to tell you the. The absolute truth every time out. Whereas when I mean, you guys know enough, like covering this and talking to guys, that you know, I'd say probably seventy-five percent of the time, you're not getting the complete truth from someone you're talking to about a particular subject. They've either got teammates to protect or, or, or some for some other reason. So that's what I like about boxers. You more often than not are going to get something completely unvarnished. So one last thing from me, and it's this: Do you have a favorite story that you've written? What, I mean, is there one that stands out in your mind as being something that uh, that you like the best? Uh, you know, it's got me thinking about, you know, doing, experiencing boxing. And back in, like, I think 10 years ago, I convinced Juan Manuel Marquez, the 135-pound champion, to fly to New York to fight me. <laughs> um, that did not go well for me at all. Uh, it was like a three-round beating at this Church Street boxing in this famous boxing gym in New York. And I'll never forget, like, he walked through those doors. He had his trainer, his cut man, his publicist, and his promoter with him, which none of whom he needed with him to, to kick the crap out of me. Meanwhile, there were about 25 guys from Boston who had driven, driven up from, from the city to come to New York to, you know, basically watch me get my backside kicked in. Like, they, they were openly cheering for Marquez to knock me out, like, <laughs> like rooting for him while they're, you know, 15 beers deep in the middle of the afternoon. So that's probably the most memorable. I got to write about that and had the whole experience start to finish training. And, uh, and and somewhere on the Internet there's a video. I don't know where that video is. It's been so long that it might have just disappeared. But somewhere there's a video, and it's it's not pretty to watch me at that point, 6'3", a buck 80 probably, and Marquez, 
you know, five five a buck thirty, uh, just beat the daylights out of me. We gotta find that video, yeah. Jay. It's somewhere. I encourage your <laughs> listeners to see if they can dig it up. It's it's out there. Uh and it was uh it was it was it was bad. Let's just say that. Well, Chris, thank you very much as always. We appreciate you. You got it, guys. Chris Mannix, our friend, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. I want to see you get in a ring with somebody. Oh, I'm telling you what, it's my life's goal now to get famous enough that I can make money off people tuning in to watch <laughs> me get beat up. Do I have enough of a following that they'll tune in to watch me get punched in the face? Because that's apparently that's what Aaron Carter is, right? I mean, he's just he's just famous enough that people were like, yeah, I'd like to see that guy get beat up. Sure, oh, how, I'll watch that. How much would you have to be paid to get beat up? How badly beat up? TKO. Not a KO, like a TKO. Get, like beat up in the boxing ring? Yeah. Or, or, or and he like, had the headgear, the spar gear. Yeah. Or uh, like, you know, roughed up by like a group of people. You know what I mean? No, like, no, no, no. Like, no. Just, I, like I, jumped I, in the park? Yeah. No, no, I'm saying it this way. You're going to be... You're going to be knocked out, but I mean, you're not. You're going to suffer a knockout, but not knocked unconscious. Oh, like, like fifty bucks. <laughs> Get out of here! No <laughs> what? A good hot dinner? Yeah, right. Well, Austin will pay you fifty bucks if he could just you know, punch the clown in the nose. If he's got gloves on and uh, <laughs> wants to make it so I've got a soft landing, then yeah, to knock yourself right out. I'll take that fifty. Uh, no, man. knock you out. We're getting pizza tonight, family. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get out of the zone. Phone joining us now, our friend from the Lone Depot, hanging out with us today. He is Matt. What's going on, Matt? You know, you just need to tie like a charity event to it all. And, uh, you know, how many times can you get can you get punched and it's $50 per punch? And, and there you go. Well, take out the charity part of that and just put it in my pocket. And then we're, we're talking. Yeah, we're talking. You know, it's all about it's all about cash money. That's a, that's a good transition into what we're talking about today. It's all about having uh, having the cash on hand to be able to live how you want. It is. It is. So. The next couple of segments, we're going to kind of go into some real life uh, scenarios here, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. But um, so we've been talking reverse mortgages all day, um, and and as you guys know, I'm passionate about this program. It really does help so many people, um, and and I'm going to focus in right now on a on a uh, kind of a segment of the population that is it really is hurting. Um, you know, they you know maybe um, you know looking at Social Security, not a lot of income coming in. And, uh, you know, may have a house paid for, um, but, uh, but really just kind of struggling to get by um, or maybe, you know, renting and the rent keeps going up. Um, you know, this, this particular program gives the opportunity for, um, you know, someone like this in this scenario to, you know, be able to buy a house or, or at least be able to access some cash flow. So let me give you, let me run uh, just a really quick uh, example for you. So, you know, let's say that your home was, you know, four hundred thousand dollars, and you know you're 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 looking at it, saying, "Hey, I've got this thing paid for, but you know, money's tight." A reverse mortgage will allow you to access about half of that equity, and you know, so about two hundred of the four hundred thousand dollars would then be available, and uh, it can either come to you in uh, you know a lump sum, it can be a um, a monthly payment that can be given to you, or um, it can be in that line of credit, you know, which we've talked about, which grows with interest that is wonderful and you can draw on it. But that money can then start to help you live life, uh, you know, to a to a better degree. And again, the principal and interest payments on this loan are completely optional um, and you retain ownership to the home. Sounds awesome. And if folks out there have some questions, here's Matt Sell, 801-330-2200. And you've got an exciting event coming up in a couple of days, right? I do, yeah. So we're going to be um, holding it here in Salt Lake. Um, it's going to be catered around you know, lunchtime, so feel free to pop in. If you're interested and want to get on that VIP list, please give me a call or send me a text, 801-330-2200. Again, 801-330-2200. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you. Thanks, guys. All right, there you go. That's Matt from Lone Depot. We'll have more coming up next. Stay tuned. It's The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. 
Well, look who made an appearance. Paul George! Kawhi Leonard! Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have some fight in them after all. Let's go! Our Utah Jazz look to leave Los Angeles up 3-1 after Monday night. In the lane, high off the glass, and in Donovan Mitchell. I will never back down! Game 4 tips off at 8 p.m. I will never back down! The Jazz Live pregame show begins at 7. I will never back down! On your exclusive home of the Utah Jazz. I will never back down. 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Oh, Donovan! This is your Jazz at 30 update. Ring the 30-point belt. It's game night for the Utah Jazz. Getting ready for game four against the L.A. Clippers. They have a two games to one lead in the series. Mike Conley not available for the Utah Jazz tonight. Still recovering from that injured hamstring. Donovan Mitchell talks about how the Jazz will change their spacing in game four. Um, I think, you know, it's just the, the little details as far as being two feet close to the baseline as opposed to five. Like, you know, the little things like that, I think, definitely make up the driving lanes. They change things, making it an emphasis to get there. Not our force kind of going into things I think was huge and just trying to go out there and just, you know, do what we do. We've done that all year. And I think for us to continually get to that right space and get to that proper. And it's like really, they say football's a game of inches, but really like in a sense, kind of get into those where it's a game of inches where you're deep in the corner or deep on the high quadrant. So if they want to trap, they want to blitz, they want to shift. Like, you know, you're making the easy reads and it makes it easy for everybody. Tip-off tonight coming your way a little after 8 o'clock. Pre-game coverage from the plaza out front of Vivint Arena will begin at 7. This update brought to you by our friends at Syringa Networks. You can't stop it now. This it's the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires. The team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Show. Time to talk a little golf. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott. But uh, first, it's time to get a qualifier. Call right now, 855-340-ZONE. If you're caller 12, you're going to be paired with a top 25 golfer. One listener will be paired with 26 in the field. If the player assigned to you wins the upcoming U.S. Open, you'll win a Callaway staff bag. Qualifiers will be assigned today, tomorrow, and Wednesday. It's time for the Uinta Golf U.S. Open giveaway. So be caller 12 right now, 855 855- Three four zero zone. Joining the show now, of course, you hear him on Real Golf Radio every single Saturday morning. He's our friend Brian Taylor. What's up, BT? Hi, this is Brian. Am I caller twelve? <laughs> no, buddy. You. Uh, hey, well, how uh, about this? If you could choose a golfer to get assigned to you, who would that be? Uh, John Rom. Right now, I, I I love the John Rom story. You know, he's six. Got a six shot lead with uh, eighteen. 18- positive covid test he's forced to withdraw last week and and uh, sit there for uh, i guess it's been over a week now week and a half ago and he sits in quarantine uh, thinking about unfinished business and uh, john rom got his first pga tour win here at uh, tory pine so yeah I, I mean a lot of people like john rom this week and, and i'm one of them so i picked that i had first pick i'd take rom what'd you make of the way that was handled bt it was weird wasn't it like um you know first of all I don't know that you tell the guy right there off the 18th green in front of a crowd, right? I mean, it almost looked like he just told him he, you know, a family member passed away or something. It was, it was kind of, it was, it was awkward uh, to say the least. I, it seems like that's something they could have done at the scoring trailer tent or what have you. But uh, the other thing, you know, you think there was, should be some provisions that could be made, like, you know, look, he's got a six-shot lead. Why don't, how about playing by yourself, you know, in the final group? Um, something along those lines. But at the end of the day, the tourist policies are in place, and, you know, it's hard to do audibles on the fly. They probably had to do what they had to do. And, and you know, this, we're still still in the throes of this. We're still kind of on the tail end of all this pandemic stuff. So you, you got to do it, unfortunately. But it, it's, it, was, it was a bummer. Um, you knew something like that was, was possible, but uh, that, that certainly was, was a shocker when he had that kind of a lead. And it made the tournament more interesting, that's for sure, because I think he would have just ran away with it the next day. But, you know, it cost him $2 million. At, at the end of the day, it cost him $2 million bucks. BT, are, are you familiar with the Hunger Games trilogy? You watch that? 
I can't say that I have. Uh, I, I mean, I know of it, but I didn't watch it. All right. Well, they, there's some actually it's multiple characters. They're called game makers and they sit in this room and they basically their job is to make <laughs> life as difficult as possible on the, the competitors because they're in this fake environment. Right. <laughs> I, I feel like that's the USGA when setting up the golf course that they just Good say, segue. oh, what what can we do to these poor golfers now? How uh, how's the course going to be set up? How tough is it going to be? You know, we had a chance to get out there and play three weeks ago, and um, it, the golf course was already hard. I mean, Tor- anytime you have a chance to play Torrey Pine South, it, it's a, it's an experience. I'm going to call it that. Is it fun? Uh, I mean, if you think, you know, experiencing a high degree of challenge um, of a golf course is fun, then, yeah, it's fun. But it's not something you'd want to do every day. This is, you know, the caddy spent quite a bit of time on our show Saturday talking about how much he loves Torrey Pines how it's one of those golf courses that you basically grow the rough up a little bit, you firm up the golf course, and you switch the flags from Torrey Pines to the USGA, and, and you're ready to go. It, it's, a, it's just already a hard, long golf course. Just to put it into perspective, we played it at 6,600 yards. That's the tees we played it at. And, and we were exhausted at the end of the day. And these players are going to play it at 7,600 yards, 1,000 yards longer than we did. And uh, it, it's going to be fun to see how good these guys are. Um, you know, Tori, the USGA is, has got the golf course already pretty baked out. I was, it was notable how firm the greens were three weeks ago. Uh, now, they have had the June gloom that have started to come in. You know, Gordon knows all about this, where that socks in, that, that, that coastline holds the moisture in. And so it probably won't get any firmer than it already is, but there's already some pretty good baked out spots uh, on that golf course. And it's, it's going to be a challenge. Tiger won this thing at one uh, – oh, shoot, I just lost my nose. Is it one over or one under back in 2008? And, you know, that was the – you know, playing it on one leg. He shot three over the final day just to get into a playoff with Rocco Media. So it's a very, very difficult test. I suspect the scores will be pretty similar to what they were then. Jake, at last, I have something in common with BT. I, we, we know about the marine layer. I have played – that golf course on a number of occasions. Fuck. Yeah, uh, and uh, it, I, I can relate to what you, how you described it, and I and I. It's hard for most uh, just recreational golfers to even imagine uh, the way they they make it more difficult. BT. I mean, it just. I don't think it would be fun at all. I think we'd all be throwing our clubs away. You know what? You, what it's hard, what it's hard to understand is you, you feel like, okay, I went out and I played. There were fairways, tee boxes, greens, there were flags. And then what they do in a U.S. Open setup, or quite frankly, a regular tour event, it, it, it just, the golf course, when you, when you firm it up and you have the speeds of the greens that they deal with, and then you tuck the flags, this is why we had, when we had this discussion of the PGA Championship about using rangefinders, it really is kind of pointless. And that's going to be the case at Torrey Pines. There is going to be very few times, I would guess, that these players will actually be firing at the flags. In order to get close to some of these pin locations, you have to hit your spots with the right spin on the golf ball. And I think that's what maybe some people fail to see, why these guys are so good. If you took a, a guy that's a two or three handicapper at, at your local club and he, and he tried to hit shots at these flags, it's not staying on the green. These guys are able to work the ball with the right trajectory and the right control of the spin, you know, so that they hit a spot on the green and then it works itself somewhere towards the hole that gives them an opportunity to make a putt. And, and that's what is, that's the beauty of watching guys play the U S open. Sure. They're going to hit it a long ways. Sure. They're going to make some birdies, but at, at the end of the day, it's watching. If you like, if you, if you're a student of the game and you want to try to get better, watch how they approach the, the, the golf course and how they, are, how they try to unlock the code, if you will, as to how you can try to, to, to get around without having any major blow-ups. Because it really will be more of a survival test. I don't think this is going to be one where guys are just going to blow it up. You know, Bryson, of course, we said that about Wingfoot back in September, and Bryson blew it up. Um, so it's possible these guys are good. But most likely, you're going to see guys that are just really happy with rounds of one or two under, and even even par and one or two over. It's not going to get you in trouble. You just have to avoid the big numbers that will shoot you out of it. So it's, it's fun to watch. I don't know that U.S. Open setup is going to be, you know, something you want to watch every week in golf because I think it goes back to that offense where an offense 
you know, sports uh, society. We like to see offense, not so much guys doing what we feel like we could do, making bogeys all the time. But uh, at the same time, this is this is one of those weeks where it's supposed to identify the best player, and and we'll see who who emerges at the end of the week. BT, you're the best. Thank you very much. We look forward to all the great coverage this week. And go Jeff. All right, buddy. There you go. Our friend Brian Taylor here every Saturday morning on Real Golf Radio, and he and Bob. Uh, we'll be on uh, all the shows throughout the week uh, previewing the U.S. Open. Love it. Love the U.S. Open. Uh, I think the courses would eat us alive, Jake. But uh, And I have played that course okay. uh, the way it is normally laid out, uh, not at U.S. Open condition. But uh, but you can I relate to these players. You basically are John Rahm. Well, when I played that, when I played that course on a numerous occasions, I was young. Oh, it's and numerous and, occasions now, <laughs> and you are comparing yourself to John. <laughs> That's funny. All right. I uh, want to remind you about our friends at SNS Roofing, your locally owned roof repair experts for a free quote. And for all your roofing needs, call SNS Roofing. Coming up next, the Not Sports Report. Stay tuned. It's the big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Check this out. And now, your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 Zone. It's time to get a winner for the Chevy Strong Play of the Game. Be caller 12 right now, 855-340-ZONE. And correctly identify the Chevy Strong Play of the Game. Announced by DJ and PK this morning at 850, and you'll win his own prize pack. It's the Chevy Strong Play of the Game, brought to you by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers, only here on the Zone Sports Network. All I'll say, and this won't give it away, but DJ must have been in a weird mood today when he picked today's Play of the Game. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a faction out there that would probably be say uh, it was uh, uh, uncouth to make that the play of the game. <laughs> DJ went left when I thought he was going right. Uh, all right, it's time for the non-sports <laughs> report brought to you by the LHM Used Cars Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles and inventory. Shop online, LHMUsedCars.com. Where are we going today, Gordo? First we're going to Florida, and then we're going to Hawaii. All right, the first story, Jake, um, Let me before I get into it, let me add, have you ever you've had roommates through the years, and and now you have a wife? I mean, do you ever have you ever gotten in a fight over who's controlling the remote control? Man, we were we were usually pretty good about that, but all of us usually had like a a TV in our room or something. So if we were always that worked up about it, we just went somewhere else. So no, not really. Well, do you think this is a widespread problem? Arguments over the, uh, yeah. the remote control? Yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. What to watch on TV? Well, apparently in Florida, of course, a man in an apartment was, um, two men were watching television, and apparently they got in a dispute over one of the guys hogging the remote. Okay. So... Did he get angry at the man or get in an argument with the man or throw food at the man or anything like that? No. He pulled out a sword and stabbed the man. <laughs> That'll resolve the dispute. Well, it really didn't help the stabber because uh-huh. the police showed up. As they're they, off to do after they, a stabbing. <laughs> they found the victim outside the apartment bleeding, having been stabbed twice at different locations in his body, non-threatening, not in life-threatening. However, he was bleeding, and uh, and uh, they went up to the apartment, and a 54-year-old man was laying on the couch holding the sword, and they asked him what the heck happened, and he confessed to the crime, hmm. and he said that uh, if he'd had better aim, he would have gutted the man. <laughs> So th- somebody should tell King Arthur to stop right there. <laughs> that just brought about some different charges. <laughs> What's this guy's name? Inigo Montoya? <laughs> yeah. Errol Prepa- Flynn Prepa- is like, hey, I was really trying to kill him. All right. So we go from the ridiculous to uh, – I'm going to get your thought on this real quick. Jake. Apparently, 
the agency for the uh, accounting in the military or whatever the that has a name, the DPAAA or whatever, they are proposing, or it, it isn't finalized yet, but this is their thought, to disinter the 85 members of the USS Arizona crew who have been buried in the Punch Bowl. I don't know if you, when you've been to Hawaii, if you're going to the Punch Bowl, mm-hmm. it's a military cemetery there, a very peaceful, beautiful place. But uh, they want to disinter the 85 men and reinter them inside the battleship. For what reason? Uh, I guess they just think that's the right thing to do. It's not. Just uh, leave them be. <laughs> but the families are upset. The families are upset, and here's why. Because this organization, this agency, has on in many occasions uh, identified. Ver- these are unknown, so th- nobody knows who they are. And so they've, in a lot of cases, they have identified the remains for the sake of the families. But they're not talking about identifying these men through DNA or whatever. They are just talking about unidentified putting them in the ship, and the families are upset about that. But the agency said it would be too complicated to— they would have to essentially do everybody that's—apparently there's like 900 sailors inside the memorial, um, and uh, they they say it's—they could do it, but it's uh, too problematic. This feels to me like doing something just because. Mm-hmm. There doesn't feel to be a real strong reason. I here. feel that they're very much honored where they are. Yeah. And, just let them be. And, yeah, let and, them rest. And digging them up feels wrong. Let's not and bother. And then putting them underwater yeah, into the ship? Yeah, that just doesn't feel. Not- that doesn't feel. This, that, that feels like a solution looking for a problem right there. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about them removing, moving them from one place to another. Uh, I, I, you know, but I think the family's wishes should be honored to some degree here. I mean, I don't. I don't know how the sailors would feel about it, and they're obviously they're gone now. But I don't know. That's that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I. I, you know, I don't think they, it is they should, a tough one. They should do whatever they can to identify everybody involved in. But that would then they would have to go into the ship and pull out the bodies. No, no, Austin. No, just, they'd have to, and that's just let it just be. Just let it be. Yeah, just let them rest in peace. I think I agree with that. Uh, a lot of our listeners have probably been to the memorial there, and it is uh, it is a moving a moving uh, experience to go there. Jake, you've done it, right? I have. And what do you think of it? It was great. Uh, well, I mean, not great's not the right word for it, but it's um, it's it's a it's a uh, it's it's a memorial. So on on that note, Gordon, I, I'm I'm leaving you in Austin with some specific instructions. Okay. Here. All right. If, if by chance I'm buried after I pass, mm-hmm. I at want, sea, I, I want I want you to dig me up, <laughs> have me stuffed, and put me on the couch. <laughs> What couch? Uh, whatever one is in my wife's house at the time. Eyes open or closed. And you think she wants that? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Eyes open would be great. Okay. Yeah. So get some glass eye. Okay. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Can we use the same uh, marbles they use in, like, the deer at what, the taxidermy? Whatever you need to do. So I just, it's just black eye? Just stuffed. That's that's it. I just don't want, you know, I want to be above ground. Do you want any animatronics included? If you got the money, knock yourself out. Like they do at Disneyland. Yeah, right. sure. You know, Jake, you can be buried in like a in in the side of a wall in a building if you don't want to be under the ground. Yeah, but then how would anybody see me? <laughs> you want people to see you? Yeah, especially the wife's new lover. You know, I, I mean, well, but 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 they when they walk in and they say, you know, Jake's not looking that good. <laughs> oh, he's been dead for he, years. He looks dead. Uh, I'm, All right. Uh, you, you don't want your you don't want your remains uh, uh, burned, put in an urn, or dumped in the Pacific, or you know, done some other way, you know, at the beach, or maybe in North no, Carolina no, or I something. Want to be reanimated to the, the, the <laughs> as much as technology at the time will allow. 
You can you and Ted Williams. Yeah, yeah. you can like Ted Williams. Me. What's that fine. called? Cry, cryogenic, cryogenic freezing. Yeah, something like that. It's called. Never mind. I can't say that. On yeah. Uh, real quick, the theory there is that if you're frozen, you can be maybe brought back to life a billion years from now. If you got enough money, yeah, that's the theory. It was one heck of a hitter. But didn't they just freeze his head? Yes. All right, out to the <laughs> so, phone we so, go. <laughs> so I'm just thinking, I'll can, send you a YouTube. Can they regrow him? Is that if, what the theory is? If you're, if you want to, uh, you know, uh, be smart with your money and uh, and assets and those sorts of things while you're still above ground. <laughs> Matt from the Load and Load nice. Depot joins us now. Oh, Matt, like, uh, <laughs> Matt, Matt, where did it's you a go weird wrong? transition, I know, Matt. But let's try to help our listeners, shall we? All I can all I can see right now is you like in carbonite on Jabba's wall or something like that. I, <laughs> yeah, something like I, that. That's okay. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. What kind of what kind of heady proposition do you have for us, Matt? Oh man. All right. So um, in our last segment, we talked about um, you know a reverse mortgage for someone that's really in dire straits to use it. But I think you know our everyday listener. Um, you know, is in a position to where, you know what, I've, I've, i paid off my home. Life is pretty good. Or I'm, you know, I'm working on paying it off. I might have a hundred thousand dollars left or whatnot. I'm 62 plus. Um, why, why is a reverse mortgage a good idea for me? Well, first and foremost, you know, as you're making payments towards your house, you know, those payments as you make them with a forward mortgage, or if you've paid it off, um, that, that asset is locked. In other words, you're, you're not able to actually take that money out. It's not liquid. It's not like a checking account that you put money into that you can take back. Now, with a reverse mortgage, it allows the ability for you to start to access the funds, you know, that you have accumulated through paying down the mortgage, plus the equity that's been gained over the time that you have been paying it down. And so this is a wonderful program. It can, it can allow for you to have a line of credit. You can get payments over time. Um, and again, that line of credit grows. And again, this is the coolest part about this program is that you can take money out of the line of credit and it goes into your bank account, goes into your loan. You can also take money and pay down your loan. It goes back into your line of credit. So this is a, a, a nice scale of balance to where you've got money that's working for you, that's earning interest, you know, that you can draw on if you need it. Wow, that is awesome. And I know you get a lot of questions. That's why you give out your cell phone uh, number, Matt, 801-330-2200. But it's also why you do uh, these events, which you've got coming up in a couple of days. Yeah, we do. And, and again, we've only got uh, a couple more segments here. So please write down my phone number, 801-330-2200. Again, 801-330-2200. We're going to be having an event on Wednesday at noon. Um, we're going to have it catered. Uh, we're going to have some good food, and it'll be an open um, opportunity to ask questions about the program and how it works and, um, and really open to anyone. Yes, this program is available for 62 plus, but you don't have to be 62 to attend. Anyway, um, this is really fun, guys, and I really enjoy being with you. Hey, back at you, Matt. Thanks, buddy. We appreciate you. That's our friend Matt from Loan Depot, 801-330-2200. Uh, we'll have more coming up next. In fact, we'll hear some jazz sound from Donovan and Rudy straight ahead, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, look who made an appearance. Paul George! Kawhi Leonard! Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have some fight in them after all. Let's go! Our Utah Jazz look to leave Los Angeles up 3-1 after Monday night. In the lane, high off the glass and in, Donovan Mitchell. I will never back down. Game four tips off at 8 p.m. I will never back down. The Jazz Live pregame show begins at 7. I will never back down. On your exclusive home of the Utah Jazz. I will never back down. 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network.